Greetings to all you out there in podcast land. This is Adam Voigt, and you're listening to The Aristotle Project. The Aristotle Project works to bring back ancient wisdom for the modern world. We do have original thoughts and our own philosophy separate from Aristotle, but unless you understood Aristotle, you wouldn't understand anything we have to say that's original. So... We created this so that you could get, catch up with us someday. But along the way, Aristotle is quite a roller coaster ride. So buckle up and we're on our way. While in our former episodes in Book Gamma, Aristotle outlined the basic presuppositions of his science, in Book Zeta, we actually do research in it and explore alternative hypotheses about what's really real and test them. And Aristotle comes to some pretty weird conclusions. This is perhaps the most difficult book of the metaphysics, and but a very central one. Now, if you don't understand it, don't worry. The rest of this will still make sense. But... I think this is a very important uh, series. Okay, so, good now evening. we're looking into book Zeta. Alright, here we are for the next uh, second episode of book Zeta. So, let's... Um, this is probably the most difficult book in physics. So, it's pretty uh, amazing that you made it through the book one. The first episode. So let's just quiz you and see if you can remember what uh, what was the first episode about Book Zeta about? I think one word. What was it about? There's only one word. I don't know which episode that was. That was the last one we did. The last one we did. Um... Yesterday. In one word. What was it about? Definitions and stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's pretty much what philosophy is, but. <laughs> no, well, okay. Now, if if uh, you have to sum up all the metaphysics in one word, that would be substance. So, like, about half the books uh, or the uh, books of the metaphysics start with, okay, now what we're really talking about here is substance. And substance has these meanings, you know, that's half the time it starts out with that. Mm. Oh, by the way, there's water. So, anyway, so that's what this is about. So now that I've reminded you of that, do you remember what the seven possible meanings of substance were? Like, he, he gave four of them. Well, do you mean, like, there were numbers, there was form, there was matter? Uh, that's pretty, uh, yeah, okay, so matter was one of the, yeah, matter's one of them, okay, and actually form is like two or three or four of them, right, there's just different ways of saying form, and there's a bunch of different ways of saying matter, and those are all the possible substances that he listed, so you're maybe thinking about when he talked about the four elements, remember, and then what else was a substance? What other kinds of things? Um, well, substance is like what makes the thing a thing, right? That's true. And what sorts of things could make something a thing? Um, essence. That's true. Wow, the essence. That's definitely one of them. And uh, so some people, okay, so he, uh, in his first list, he was talking about common views. So that's like four elements. You know, organs, organisms, stuff like that, planets, stars. But then he had a second section where he talked about the genus, the universal, and the essence. And then he also talked about this other weird word. Remember the weird uh, Latin word? Okay. No, that's Greek. It's substratum. No, okay, substratum. So this is something we introduced last time. Substratum is that which 
when you say something about it, like it's this thing, and then I say something about it, and then you put it on top of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the paper's like this. Yeah, it's like the bedrock of everything you say about something. Mm-hmm. What it, What are you talking about, right? The you talking is on top of that. That's the substratum. And there's lots of different things that you can say something about. And that the idea being that's the real thing. And whatever you're saying about it isn't true anymore if that thing goes away. So different people think there's different things that are the substratum. Some people think it's matter. Other people think it's the form. And then Aristotle thinks it's the combination of the two. Actually, there's some debate as to whether Aristotle thinks it's the combination or the composite or whether it's just the form. It's hard to tell. So anyway, that, that's a weird thing that people argue about. So anyway, um, so any of these seven things, genus, universal, essence, substratum, matter, sensible form, hylomorph, could be that which has predicates but isn't predicated of something else. So if you define it that way, at the end of that section, he says, okay, if we think about it that way, it seems that matter is substance. That's not what he thinks. So he's right now he's going to go into essence. Yeah. All right, essence. So we're going to spend like I think that there's three chapters on essence or something. Yeah, there's three chapters on essence, and that's what we're going to try to just cover them. And you know these three chapters. These are some of the chapters of the metaphysics are things that like nobody would really bother to read unless you're just a philosophy nerd. And you might, if you just read them through and didn't quite understand them, you probably get enough from them. You wouldn't really have to struggle with it. To, but I, I think we can just cover the essential points. Uh, and, and like when you, if you read chapters four through six of Book Zeta, it really shows up uh, or reveals and makes clear that these are just like lecture notes. The whole metaphysics, the reason why it's so small, I mean, it's a really small book. Uh, the entire metaphysics is kind of like my, uh, about as long as my master's thesis, right? But like, it's so dense. And sometimes he just kind of says things and it's not like really clear what he's talking about. So we think it's lecture notes, and he would have said something and then gone on a few minutes uh, about that something, kind of like what we're doing in this podcast. Like, remember when we started out, I read his exact words, and then we talked about mm-hmm. it for about like 20 minutes, you know, of just like 20 seconds of words. That's what he would have done with this when he was in Athens or wherever else he taught. So... We're going to start with this chapter four and just look at a few basic things and then talk about them. And in this chapter four, it's kind of difficult to know what he's he's actually saying. Like, there's a lot of stuff in here that's not clear to me, but it's worth talking about anyway. So the the title, or he doesn't title this chapter, but the title given by uh, Ross in his translation is What Has Essence? So not everything really has an essence, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's not an essence in the strict sense. So every time Aristotle uses a word, there's like a range of strictness that you can use that word. And there will be something which is most strictly like that, and then others are only spoken of that way, sort of like half-heartedly. Okay, so... Essence is what? What's the essence? The essence is like, um, what makes it that thing? Like, um, my essence could probably be like, like our uh, DNA check or something. Yeah, that's true. It's it's what makes you that thing. Yeah. So the phrases that he uses in this very set sentence, there's two of them. Uh, what a thing is of itself. And then also what a thing is in virtue of itself. So that's that means what it is on its own apart from anything else 
being near it or affecting it or like, you know, uh, so of the things it's, it, it, it emphasizes your separateness from other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Aristotle's interested in separateness of things. And if you think substance is universal, then you're kind of belittling the separateness of the particulars and saying that they're not really separate, right? Aristotle thinks individual things are separate. They're not completely separate, but they're separate. And he's interesting in what makes them separate. So that's what he's talking about here. And uh, he's not, notice he hasn't said that, you know, what sort of thing the essence is. He's just, whatever the essence is, that's what a thing is of itself. So then he says a few things that it's not. And these are pretty telling. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, essence is not, quote, a musical person, unquote. So, a musical person, so musicalness, is musicalness natural to humans or essential to them? I'd say it's natural. Yeah, it's definitely natural. So, like, okay, so, but it's natural in a different sense from other animals. Some animals are completely unmusical. Like many animals probably can't even hear. Like like plants can't hear, right? So plants are to yeah, but plants are totally unnatural. Okay, so but other animals could actually hear music, but they won't hear it as music. So they're unmusical too. Yeah, they don't have the mental processes needed to distinguish between music and just noise. So they're unmusical. Other animals just born what about like i guess this is dance but like you hear like vibrations musical vibrations type yeah. thing that don't make a noise yeah like you can hum but if oh, you yeah. can hear the humming you can recognize that it's music yeah oh it's what? not like dancing deaf people can feel music and yeah. so they take those feelings that those tactile sensations and then they sort of cross-wire that with their uh, musical sense and are able to get interested in, for example, rhythm. And they learn to mm -hmm. feel the music. So if they, you know, if they have their back against the speakers, they can appreciate the music perfectly well. So that's a cool thing. And uh, so even deaf people are musical. So what he's talking about here is that everybody is born liking or appreciating music all humans i'd say mm -hmm. but not everybody is born uh, with the skill to make music or to distinguish themselves by their ability to make music so anybody might hum a tune or something like that that that's natural that's essential to humans i'd say now a person who didn't have the ability to hum a tune they would still be human but they just be, it's kind of like being born without a hand or an arm, right? They would still have the human essence. And human, the human essence is to have some musical sense. But he's talking about the skill to make music. Now, you can go through the world, and all of a sudden, you can uh, notice that some people just can't play at all, and other people can play. You know, and so, uh, like... Uh, that, that's just it. Now, I, for example, I can play music, but in another, another sense, I'm not, I don't have real musical science. You know, I can't read music and things like that. So th there's some vagueness to this, but he's talking about learning to perform music and learning to, like, basically show up at a party and strum a guitar and keep everybody entertained for about an hour. Right? Mm -hmm. Something like that. That's something that just doesn't come in the same way that having two eyes does. Yeah. So that's what he says. A musical person, that's an accidental quality of substance, right? So it, that's what he means by musical. Because I don't think, I think appreciating music in that sense is, uh, you know, that's a natural or essential quality of humans. So that's one example he gives. 
is the ability to have musical skill, or the actual the musical skill. We all have the ability to gain musical skill, but whether we bring that about is contingent. It's not necessary, right? Mm -hmm. So, anyway, the, uh, the next example he gives is a white surface. So, that's an accidental quality of form. So, a surface is a form. So, like the fact that this uh, wall in front of us is gray, the grayness is accidental. Like, we could have painted it white, we could have painted it black. Mm -hmm. So, it would still be a surface no matter what color it is. So, that doesn't really have an essence, uh, according to him. Not in the strictest sense. And, but you could say the essence of a white surface is, oh, well, it's to have two dimensions, you know, a plane, and then it's this color. But that's not the real essence, or, or the strict sense of essence. And then another uh, example is a white man. And that's an accidental quality of substance. And it's weird, it's so weird how he always uses a white man and a black man as his example for accidental qualities of substance, right? All the way. I like it's pretty amazing. It's one of his common things. So and, and what it's interesting is is that uh, while uh, we think of ourselves as white as opposed to other people who are like black, right? So we're one of the extremes from our view. We're one of the extremes of a continuum. It, the Greeks saw themselves as being in the middle. They I'm thought sure they were pretty white. Yeah, but the thing is, they were less white than people to the north. Okay. They thought people to the north were one extreme, and they were barbarians, like the Germans and the Celts. And Greeks were in the middle, and then the people to the south were also barbarians, except for the Ethiopians and the Egyptians, who were also considered highly wise and pious, beloved by the gods, mm -hmm. and civilized. But still, they thought that was more of an extreme. So people to the south were either barbarians or they lived under an emperor and therefore weren't free. And that's a whole other thing. So like Aristotle, in terms of his uh, views of white and black, he thought Greeks were in the middle. Whereas nowadays we, with our so they were like balanced and not barbarians. Yeah, and that's what they that's one thing that they thought was that the, the climate was very uh, important and in, in like made them moderate. And his views on uh, virtue were that you know virtue, which is the way you ought to be, is in the middle. You shouldn't be either of the extremes. So it can't be too cold, can't be too hot. Yeah, that's what they would think. So anyway, that's uh, so a white man is an accidental quality of substance. If a, if a man's born black, or if he's born whiter than a, uh, a Greek, or right in the middle with a tan, I don't know, I, I don't even know what the, I suppose the Greeks had tans. I mean, I mean they, they lived the on sun. the Mediterranean, yeah. right? I mean, it was a pretty sunny area. And you gotta have at least some melanin. Yeah. So, but that's an, that's an accidental quality, you know? They thought that skin color was not essential to humanity. They just thought the ability to think and talk and cooperate were essential. So that's an accidental quality of substance. And then he's got this really weird one, which he doesn't explain. A cloak. Wait, are mute people like not human humans or something? No, I think we've covered that before. It's like being, like humans are by nature uh, two-legged. And if you're born with one leg, oh, yeah, okay. then you're still a human. Well, yeah, but if you take the fact that paper is made of, like, paper away, I don't know, that's completely different than words. Well, uh, yeah, that's different. Paper isn't a, uh, a, a true substance, and we'll talk about why right here. But uh, it, for a mute person, nature has been frustrated. So they have the nature, but its expression has been frustrated. And that, so there you have it. That's it. Or hampered or something like that. And uh, so a cloak, so he, he, he puts a cloak as something which doesn't have essence in the full sense. Now, why do you think it doesn't have essence? It's kind of difficult. 
I had to think about it a long time. But uh, I think it's because it's an artificial product. So the essence of a thing, once you read a little bit further, an essence is not merely a shape that's on the thing, strictly speaking. It's something which keeps that shape together and which has caused it to become that shape, right? Mm -hmm. So your essence is not simply the fact that you have a shape, but it's like this sort of uh, natural thing that causes your matter to hold together and it it was in you from the beginning so it is that which caused you to grow into the shape that you're in right now mm -hmm. and which will cause you to grow in whatever way that you go further apart from your environment so that's what it is so the cloak doesn't have that it doesn't have that essence it's an artificial product so its form is on its matter in a much less or much more superficial way than the way that your form is in your matter. Your form, like a cloak's form, was just imposed on it and it's there. Mm -hmm. But your form came out of you. You know? It's what made me? Yeah, it 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 made you. It's still in you and it came out of you and it's still working to complete you you know mm -hmm. so that it's so your form is in you in a much more strict sense than an it's artificial product yeah it's much more so the essence so remember when we talked about the difference between a natural uh, product and an artificial product mm -hmm. with a natural product the essence of the form and the agent cause are both in the thing itself or mm -hmm. a thing of the same kind yeah whereas uh, for an artificial thing, the agent is separate, and then the form pre-exists the product in the agent, and then only goes into the product in a very attenuated sense. So, like, all the knowledge to make a, a, a table isn't in this table, it's right? It's in your mind? Yeah, it's in the mind of a maker. Now, I could reverse engineer this table and be like, oh, yeah, I can make a make a hundred tables just like this but I would have to bring something to the table that's more than what's in the table. The table has no idea how to work with yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I mean even if you had a living creature and you cloned it you would need to have more knowledge than what's in the actual living creature. Mm -hmm. But the living creature has a lot of that knowledge in it. Uh, like if you clone it like you're, you're not you don't have the knowledge of how to move each little molecule to create all those little proteins and what the purpose of each protein is. You just know, well, all of it's encoded in there, so I'm going to stick it in here. And you just have to get the, the DNA to where it can do its thing and, mm -hmm. you know, 3D print a little animal, you know. So that's what, uh, that's why a cloak is not really... Uh, doesn't doesn't really have an essence even though if you've read thus far you've seen that a lot of his examples are things like you know he uses stuff artificial like houses mm -hmm. the essence of a house is to be formed in a certain way but yet now he's saying well artificial things aren't really strictly speaking you know they don't really have an essence yeah okay so Essence belongs to substance primarily and simply, and then to the other categories only in a qualified sense. So, okay, so that's the end of that section. Now, does that make sense to you? Yeah. So, like, what sorts of things have essence most of all? Living creatures, then? Living creatures. What about a, uh, what about uh, an atom or a molecule? Like H2O? Does it have essence in the same way? Wait, how is this created? How is uh, H2O it's created? always existed. 
Well, did H just always exist? And then it was like, hey, look, it's an hour. Hydrogen <laughs> just popped out of the Big Bang, right? You know, as hydrogen. Mm -hmm. And then oxygen came from, like, stars fusing hydrogen together. That's where oxygen came from. So, is that a substance? I mean, like, where does the, that form come from? The form doesn't come from somebody saying, okay, well, we did it once, so hydrogen did it. The form... I mean, it can. Does it have a form? Yeah. Yeah, it does have a form. It just doesn't come together with everything with each other. Oh, yeah, but is it a... Uh, but we're, like... So, well, okay. I, I guess it's artificial because other things create it. Yeah. Like yeah, that's H2O true. And be like, okay, like we're gonna make another H two O. That's that's true. It's sort of like a, a third category besides artificial and natural. Because, like when we talked about how you have your form in you, and it it it's for the sake of making you grow and become a fully powerful human being. Or not powerful, but actualized powerful. human being, right? You know, that's like, but like the form of an hydrogen atom is that it, a hydrogen atom is just stuck as a hydrogen atom unless it gets smooshed together by some star, right? It doesn't seem to have an essence in the same way that a living creature does. You know, I. I and, you know, there's some debate as to what Aristotle thought the fundamental form of matter was. And it seems, it seems that he was not sure about it. Like, he thought that there was, like, a prime matter, but it was just kind of stuff, I think. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's some argument about this. So he thought there was prime matter, and then the prime matter could either be hot or cold or dry or moist. And so, if it was hot and moist, it would be water. If it was cold and moist, it would be earth, earth I think, or whatever. Earth. And, or is it, well, okay, there were two qualities. And each of these qualities would could be either of two states. So, that gives you four possible combinations. Wait, so what happened to cold water? Uh, I think cold water... Oh, wait, so cold and dry would be earth, sorry. Cold and water would be water. Cold and moist would be water. Hot and moist would be what? I'm not sure. It, but, Air? Okay, I'd have to look it up. But there are four qualities, and those four qualities uh, give you the four elements, okay? But it's just the qualities of prime matter. So Aristotle didn't think that, like Empedocles thought the four elements were completely separate. And they could never change from each other, but Aristotle thought that they were fun, that they were uh, mutually uh, transmutable, and that the, what distinguished them was just the qualities. But what if you have like cold earth? It's just does that make it? Like, oh, cold? earth is definitely cold. I think earth is cold and dry. I think that's it. And then it's cold and dry. Hot and dry. Yeah, I think it's hot and dry, and then. Hot and moist would be water, I guess. And then cold and moist would be air. Yes, cold and. Okay, but what happened to like cold earth and hot earth, and then like like okay, I, okay, different temperatures. I'm not sure thing. what the qualities are. I knew them like a few months ago, but what I'm saying is he thinks that the fundamental that there's not like atoms of, you know. Hot and cold. Of he doesn't believe in. Like, Plato and the atomists believe that there are little, like, fundamental particles, right? Yeah, like fire particles. Yeah, and uh, air particles and earth particles. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like what we believe now. But I'm pretty sure Aristotle thought that uh, they were just smooshy stuff. And that they only become really substantial once you get up to being a living creature. That's kind of what I think. And he seems to focus on living creatures as being like the only time that matter becomes really substantial. Mm -hmm. So, but the thing is, uh, and, like a purpose? and yeah, so it's like, 
matter seems to just be sort of like not all that fully formed to him until some living creature eats it or takes it in, which is mostly done by plants, unless you're drinking water or licking salt off of, you know, animals lick salt out of rocks, right? But most of it's done by plants. And, you know, he thought that it was kind of unorganized and not really uh, substantial. So that I think that's his view. But we would say that, um, that they are substances. They have a form. But they don't, where does that form come from? You know, like the form of a living creature comes from something pretty much like it. But where does the form of hydrogen atom come from? I mean, it seems that they have a form because they're even more well-formed and mass-produced than living creatures are. Like each living creature, each human is quite different from each other in many ways. But it's still a living creature, it's more evolved than a lot of creatures. Yeah, but like uh, a hydrogen atom, they're so uniform. So where does their form come from? Does it come from themselves or not? I guess it's more like coffee. Yeah, well, yeah. They're so simple that it's hard to have an equivalent malfunction. But where does the form come from in the first place? Like, th okay, so Aristotle God? thinks. Well, that's what some people think. Some people think that uh, God knew that, you know, some uniform uh, atoms and particles would have to exist in order to have life. So that's why he made the, these particles. I'm sure there's scientists trying to figure that out right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So, like, I, I, I'm kind of thinking that the most parsimonious explanation is kind of like if you think about raindrops. So, a raindrop is kind of like a heap, in a sense. It's so just an arbitrary... So, like, we talked about cups of water. A cup of water is a heap, right? It, it only gains its unity from something else that's not like it, right? Just, hey, look, you're gaining it unity. Yeah, so it's just a mere heap. So it's not a substance, right? Mm -hmm. What about raindrops? What so gives them unity? You may not know this, but if you look it up, there's a cool thing about raindrops is they're all the same size. No, they're not all the same size. Are you sure? Yeah, there are different types of rain. You get those giant big ones, and then you get those tiny ones on like a barely rainy day. Oh, okay. Okay, well... There's Unless some, you mean when raindrops so, so, join together. So raindrops, if raindrops fall in the same weather, then they're all the same size. Oh, that's what you mean. Okay. So they get their form from something else, from whatever the weather is like that day. Mm -hmm. Basically, their size comes from the balance of the cohesive uh, force of water molecules. Like water molecules have a surface cohesion. Oh! And the force that comes from the wind resistance of falling through the air. So the, the wind forces large amounts of water. If you just dumped a bucket of water out of an airplane, it would start separating and it would be about the same size as raindrops if it had long enough to fall, right? And that's because the large bucket of water would be separated by the wind force and it would divide it until that wind force was perfectly balanced by the surface tension of that drop. And then all those drops would be exactly the same size. So that's a form. Each one. I'm sorry? Because it happens to each one. Yeah, it happens to each one. So the interesting thing is, where does that form come from? It's not arbitrary. It's not chance. Well, but yet it's not built into the water. It's a combination of I the water. I guess that's what happens with... Well... It just kind of ends up happening by chance each time. The chance is really high, and then it just ends up coming to exist yeah. for everybody. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a combination of nature and accident, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's chance because it is natural law, but the natural law is kind of like uh, whatever the weather's like that day plus the nature of water, right? Um, well, I mean, there's like the water cycle. Mm -hmm. And the water cycle continues to happen and happen and happen. Yeah. So it's also nature. 
Okay, so the reason why I mentioned raindrops is because... Oceans, rivers, land, forms. I'm sorry, what? It was like oceans, rivers, land, sides, forms. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, a bunch of other random things that all happen to fall together. Okay, that's true. So the reason why I mentioned raindrops is I think hydrogen is like a raindrop. Hydrogen atoms. So, but instead of different weather... You just said it came out of Big Bang. That's true. But each time it rains, there's different weather that cause different sized raindrops. And I think that each time there's a big bang, what comes out of it uh, has different sort of cosmic weather that causes, you know, perhaps something different from a hydrogen atom might come out of another big bang. And so hydrogen atom is depends on two things. One which is necessary and essential, and another which varies and is accidental. But this accidental feature is is like constant over the entire history of our universe, or most of it. And perhaps it'll stay the same until the end. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that there's multiple Big Bang theories. There's multiple Big Bangs. You think there's only one Big Bang? Well, I think... There could be multiple universes, because there's got to be something outside of our universe, right? I don't know, is there? Unless warping, warping like actual space is literally possible, then I don't think there could be that. But I don't know if it's possible. Well, anyway, I mean, regardless of whether what I'm saying is actually close to yeah. the truth or not, it's the sort of account you might, makes sense. You might have to think about. What's, what's crucial is that I'm thinking in terms of essence and accident. So like uh, the way that Aristotle is talking about essence here sort of makes it questionable as to whether anything besides living creatures, strictly speaking, has essence. Now he thinks that planets and stars have essences in a strict sense. And why that's the case is because... He thinks that in one sense, planets and stars are alive in that uh, they're, uh, well, actually, it's kind of weird. So there is, he thinks that for each planet, because it moves in a circle, there has to be a god, which is some disembodied substance. It's the only kind of matter that, or the only kind of substance that doesn't have matter is a god. And that God has one thing in this universe that loves it most of all and is seeks to be like it, and that's the planet. And then there's people on Earth who also try to love or worship that God, but they're not very successful in being like that God, right? They mm -hmm. might be good warriors, but they're not like Ares and Sun, right? They may be a good king, but they're not like Zeus. Yeah. So that's uh, so these planets are substances, but they're like a thing which has its own motion, and its motion is necessary. And uh, it go it it's the time period of their motion is necessary. Now, whether you were born with, if you're born with a conjunction of two planets. That's not essential to the planet. The planet is, that's like not part of its essence. But moving a certain distance from the Earth or Sun and at a certain rate and looking a certain way and having a steady light, maybe being a different color, that is the essence of that planet. And the fact that it follows, it loves that God and follows it in a circular path to try to be like that God, to have a certain kind of motion, which is eternal. So he thinks that the motion of the planets is completely eternal and never varied, ever, ever, like over the course of eternity, that they've always been going around in circles. That's what he thinks. So he thinks that these planets have an essence and that it's a substance, but it's a different substance from us. So. And it's as far above us as we are above non-living matter. So just like living creatures are the gods of 
non-living matter, the gods are like the gods of living creatures. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so those are the sorts of things that have essence for him. But uh, I want to focus mostly on living creatures because that I think is what's like what is meant by the essence of a living creature, and what in what way we have an essence. I think is something that most people are completely clueless about. And I think that's why we should just talk all the way about it. So, anyway. Uh, I don't know, do you have a question? No. No? All right. So, I'm recently, I'm going to start trying to keep our podcast short. So, we'll just stick with Chapter 4 as this podcast uh, topic. And we'll cut it off here. 41. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for joining us, uh, people, podcast people.